Hello, money makers and money savers. Welcome to the interview series, The Business of Business. I'm your host, Dustin Dubé, and this is Finance Fundamentals, the show where we learn how to stop working so hard for our money and learn how to make it work harder for you. This podcast is entirely based on my experiences and thoughts. I am not a financial advisor, and the thoughts and expressions you hear on this show are my own and are not reflective of my employers, past or present, nor my guests. I am not liable for investments that you make or strategies that you implement upon listening to my show. Now, back to the show. Hey friends, welcome back to Finance Fundamentals. This is the Business of Business interview series where I interview unique industry experts and business owners to motivate, educate, and help you to chase your craft. Today's guest is Franchon Franchise. She is a licensed clinical mental health counselor and a certified trauma practitioner and trainer. She founded Healing Your Almond, a Wilmington, North Carolina-based consulting group in 2019, utilizing her expertise in both trauma and emotional intelligence to help companies address employee stress and team efficiency. The past couple of years has really increased the need for mental health awareness. May is actually Mental Health Awareness Month in the United States and in many countries across the world. So this episode is coming at the perfect time. If you need help, please seek it out and find a professional. There is no shame. There are many resources out there and a company like Healing Your Almond is tackling this head-on in our workspaces. Please bear with me in the first 60 seconds or so of this interview. The audio is a little fuzzy. It does get better. Thanks for joining me. Welcome back to Finance Fundamentals. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me again on Finance Fundamentals. This is the business of business. And today I have Franchon Franchise, who runs a really interesting company that I'm really excited to talk about. She's based out of Wilmington, North Carolina. So another North Carolina person in the house. Very happy to have her on. Franchon, if you could do me a favor and just give me a bit of information about who you are, where you're coming from, and how you got to this point. My name is Franchon Francis. I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor, a certified trauma practitioner, and the thing I'm most proud of is the founder of Healing Your Almond. Healing Your Almond lives at the intersection of business and wellness. I really focus on the fact that I'm a graduate of Bentley, and my parents are both entrepreneurs when I was kids, and you know all the different things that come with that. And I thought I wanted to get into business, and then I got into business, and I was like, mm, I don't want to do that. And then I switched directions. I did mental health for 10 years. And then I realized that both can coexist at the same time. And I'm super focused on wellness in the workplace and customized training and different things like that. Um, and that's kind of where Healing Ramen came from. I'm currently in Wilmington, North Carolina, but I have lived in Florida, New York, Boston, Ohio, and West Virginia. Okay, excellent. And I took a little bit of a look at your website. And I, I love the the name first off, Healing Your Almond. And I think mental health awareness is something that we do not talk about enough, especially in the workplace, because quite frankly, what gives us the most stress is usually our workplace. And I, I want to know the backstory of the name Healing Your Almond, because oh. I think that that I took a look and I read it and I was like, wow, that makes so much sense. But I, I think everyone should should hear from you. Okay, cool. Let's start by the anatomy of kind of the brain, right? So if you draw a line through your eye and another line through your ear, at the intersection of those lines in between your ears is the amygdala. And there's one on each side. 
and your amygdala is the size and the shape of an almond. So a lot of people in the industry, especially trauma specialists, refer to the amygdala as the almond, which I really love because I think the word amygdala is super intimidating. Like it took me forever to memorize how to spell it. And I specialize in it, you know, and the, the whole idea behind healing your almond is to be able to make all this information accessible. So healing your almond means healing your amygdala, which basically means that if we all come from a place of physical and emotional safety, whether that be in the home, in the office, owning a business, in the classroom, wherever we are in the world. If we had physical and emotional safety, the way the world works and the way we do things would look completely different than what's happening right now. So in Healing Your Almond was founded in 2019. So I'm talking about before the pandemic, before all kinds of other things, racial tensions, all these kind of things. Like I'm talking about before that, that's how we came up with the idea of Healing Your Almond is that our, our overall big vision, right? Like all business owners should have like the big vision, right? So Healing Your Almond's huge vision is that everybody understands very simply what I just explained to you, that we cannot move forward in a healthy way that makes any sort of sense if we don't have physical and emotional safety first. We evaluate for safety later and we prioritize physical safety over emotional safety. And reality is they are both important. And you talk about, actually this happening before the pandemic and before a lot of the events that have happened in our country in the last we're going on almost two years here it's talk about timely and topical because a lot of people need this now more than ever especially given the the time that we've all been going through i think especially in the corporate workspace there has been a lot of pressure on Working from home, understanding how to juggle this new environment. We have people with children that are juggling, you know, their their kids homeschooling. And it's been a really difficult and trying time that I don't think anyone could have prepared for. I would love to hear about how this is benefiting most corporate workspaces or how it could benefit most corporate workspaces and how maybe you've worked in corporate environments in the past with the services offered by Healing Your Almond. Well, it works different in every workspace. I will say the the place that I have the most experience right now is GE Aviation. So GE Aviation locally employs somewhere in a neighborhood of 500 people. And I have been with them since September of 2019. And it's been a journey that we've taken together. And I, I love them so much for, you know, contracting with me, but for continuing to invest in mental health even through layoffs, even through pandemic, even through some difficult things. Some people would look at mental health and be like, well, that's a, that's a budget item that we can cut. And I love GE for not doing that. So what that looks like for them is a lot of different things. I meet with some other people individually. Some of those sessions do look like mental health sessions and some of them look like coaching sessions, just in terms of how do we have a healthier work-life balance? What does that kind of thing look like? And then what I've gotten to do, which has been so much fun, is there's a new management level that's been added into their pyramid. So this new level of people that have been brought up don't really know how to be managers. Like they're, that's not what they have training for. They're engineers, but they want to be managers and they're great humans. So I work with them in like a group supervision kind of way. And we talk about self-care. We talk about conflict resolution. We talk about healthy communication and what does that look like? And I teach them a lot of things that to me is super basic. 
But to them, they're like, oh, we didn't know that. That totally makes a difference. Like now I understand why this person is reacting this way. So maybe I can handle this situation a little bit differently. And they learn from each other. I really love the group coaching model that I do with them because what happens is we meet monthly. It's not a big deal. It's an hour long meeting and it's less than 10 people. And everybody comes in with a success and a challenge. And we kind of talk about the success and where did you learn that from? What made you do that approach? And then we talk about a challenge and say like, okay, everybody chimes in on how we can help. So we're group learning and not just Franchon has all the answers because I don't have all the answers. I'm really good at creating a safe place where we can have authentic, real conversations. That's my specialty. It's not that I have all the answers to everything. I mean, nobody should be expected to have all of these answers. And I think working in a group environment, part of the benefit of that is you have ideas to bounce off of other people and you kind of have a, a little bit of a group think session. So I really like that. When it comes to the environment that you're working in now, do you also work with some smaller businesses that maybe have fewer than 50 employees as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. So we just took on a massage spa that has around from top to bottom 20 individuals. And we're focusing a lot on staff retention and also just investment and how do we get on the same page and how do we, how do we have that family vibe? The owner um, is a female business owner and her personal story is just super inspiring. And her goal is to make sure that everybody that works for her feels empowered and feels comfortable and feels confident and is reaching the goals that they want to reach. And then also we're reaching goals as an organization together. So I really, really love working with her. And then I also just took on a UPS, local UPS store. The owner owns six stores, but I only took on one store for right now. So it's like five employees. Wow. Okay. That's interesting because I, I mean, I guess I thought, you know, UPS being a franchise, I didn't know that that was something that they could do, but I guess it's more at the individual level. Right. Absolutely. So they have to get, my understanding is they have to get approval if they want to do a different service line or offer a different product. I don't think they're able to do that, but because it's inward facing and I'm working with the employees, my understanding is if that's the, the individual franchise owner's decision on how he or she wants to, you know, take care of their employees. And he's super invested. He's like, I just want to take care of my people. I want to make sure we're running efficiently. Business has increased over the pandemic and I want to keep increasing. I want to keep buying UPS stores, but I want them to run well. And, you know, I want my people to be taken care of. And those are the kind of people, you know, marketing people ask me all the time. They hate me because they're like, who's your ideal customer? And I'm like, my ideal customer is people that want to make money, be successful and care about their people all simultaneously. Like you don't have to prioritize those things. They go together. It's not one or the other. It's both. And that can be, you know, I also have a food truck that I consult with here or there. He's not consistent, but when he wants to grow, he calls me and he says, Hey, I want to grow. I want to buy another truck or I want to buy a building or I want to go to a bigger city. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's work through that. Cause there's a lot of barriers that exist in your mind and a lot of self-talk issues and a lot of people that don't support you and don't understand your vision. You know, being an entrepreneur is not easy. It feels so, so low and so stressful and everybody has an opinion, but nobody seems to want to help, you know? So that's super frustrating. So yeah, I work with one from the size of, of a team of one all the way up to so far, my biggest clients about 600. I love that you said entrepreneurs, it can feel very low because I've, I've had quite a few people on the show so far. A lot of interviews will be released over the next coming months. And a lot of people have said, when you go on, you go it alone, it's tough. Everything is on your shoulders and you don't have that corporate background to just fall back and let them take care of you. You have to make decisions and you are the CEO, the CFO, the CIO, you, you own all of the, the business and it's your right. job to instead hire the right people to help you grow and, and reach your visions and goals. 
I, I know you talked about some of the clients you have. Are you national? Are you primarily regional or is it a bit of a mix? It's a bit of a mix. So the pandemic, so the part of the story I think I left out is I, in 2019, I was working a full-time W-2 job, right? Benefits, paid time off, all the stuff. And then February, 2020, I'd had enough in the savings. And I was like, all right, I'm making the leap, you know, like it's now or never. And then March of 2020, a pandemic hits for the first time. in I'm assuming both of our lifetimes, right? So I'm just like, okay, so that was interesting. And I will say my education in both trauma and business really kicked in because I knew what was happening with me. I knew I was having a trauma response. I knew I was worried about food security, housing security, all these kind of things that I've experienced in the past. But then also having a business degree was like, all right, Franchon, you got a network, you have to pivot. You know, the nice thing is you're a small business. Like you have to look at this differently. You need to open your mind. You need to consult with people. So then I started focusing, instead of focusing locally, I started focusing nationally. So I started building relationships in places like, I have contracts in places like Arizona, Chicago, California, New York, and Florida. And I built those relationships virtually. I built them by starting out with LinkedIn conversations and then being asked to speak at speaking engagements and doing kind of all different things. And that was my focus, I would say, for all most of 2020. But I started getting a lot of attention locally for those contracts. So now I'm half and half, and I'm very comfortable with that. I, I enjoy working in different time zones and larger cities, the mentality there is, is much different. Okay. So when we talk about the clients that you're working with, if I am a prospective client, what are kind of the services that you will typically be offering that maybe I would be interested in, you know, assuming I'm a, anywhere from a small business to a large business, but what are the, the kind of typical services or menu of services that you may offer? So where we like to start with people is typically a lunch and learn, especially if you've never met me or never heard me speak, or you don't know me. I, I don't try to get people to come into a larger engagement or a longer term commitment until they've had kind of an idea of what I can do. Because, you know, you don't know me. It, it, consulting is not, it can be expensive service mm -hmm. and it can be intimidating because you don't really understand what your return on investment is and kind of have all these questions. I like to say to people, like, what is your top three biggest problems in your organization? the human problems, right? So, so the tech problems, I can't help you with the networking problems. I can't, all those things, marketing, accounting, all that's not me. What are the top three business issues that you have? They're like, well, I just can't get managers to communicate with each other. Then I'm like, all right, cool. Let's have a conversation about team building and effective communication. And let's just put it into a lunch and learn through the lens of the amygdala. Everything I do is through the lens of the amygdala. Or they're like, you know, we have a lot of equity, diversity, and inclusion issues. We have a very diverse team in the sense that everybody's from different places and have different value systems. And we want to value everybody, but at the same time, we need to get work done. How do we do that? I really live at the difficult conversations, you know, and I come in and facilitate and provide education about what's going on with people and say the things that people are feeling usually. And some of them even have an awareness of it, but they don't feel comfortable. For whatever reason, either because of their ethnicity or because their supervisor hasn't supported them in the past um, or because their own confidence level or their own issues or, you know, whatever, or they work in an environment where that's not supported. So I come in and say, all right, how do we have authentic conversations? What does that look like? And I try to do like an hour and a half to three hour training. If that goes well. We talk about next steps. And for an organization that really wants to kind of deep dive, I love to do assessments. I like to start with meeting with people, having one-on-one -on -one conversations, small group conversations, and really getting that organization to tell me 
what's going on and what they need help with. And that's sort of phase one. And then phase two is like, all right, now I offer you the things that I can help either on an individual level, a coaching level, a training level. And that's more like a menu kind of thing. And then we do that for, you know, a couple months to a year, however long it takes. And then phase three is just maintenance, which is, I don't want you to lose all this information that we learned, all of this new way of looking at things, this new approach. Collaborative design is something that you'll hear me say a lot. Like I really believe in collaborative design because it helps employees feel invested. I, I, I really like that idea because I think a lot of times in business, we think about IQ, but we oftentimes forget EQ and emotional intelligence is so important. And I think Unfortunately, there's typically a variety of reasons that people leave jobs. There are occasional times where there's just a better opportunity elsewhere or they're leaving for more money, you know, financial gain. But a lot of times people leave because of lack of direction, poor management, poor leadership. Maybe there's just not a cohesive culture. So when you have that opportunity to instill these values, and I also think from an employee's point of view, when I see that my employer is wow, they're actually investing in us, not so much just from a productivity standpoint, but they want us to become better managers and become you know, happier in our jobs and maybe work together in a, in a more efficient manner. And there's all of these services that I think are oftentimes overlooked until it's too late. And then it's really hard to backtrack and kind of break those habits that have been created. When, when it comes to doing this, right? How do you come up with pricing? You know, because you're in a, a bit more of a niche industry where it's maybe becoming more commonplace, e even as far as a couple of decades ago, you know, corporate was kind of known to be a hard environment. Right. How do you how do you come up with pricing, uh, especially if you're working with local mom and pop versus a large scale company in California? So it really depends on budget. My favorite question is, what's your budget? And I, and I want people to spend some time thinking about that. And the pricing does change. I mean, you gave a perfect example. You know, I would say I have right now small, medium, large, right? So the food truck guy that I work with pays a different rate than my massage group, you know, because he has on and off maybe three or four part-time employees. My massage people have been in business 20 years and have 20 people that work with them. GE is GE, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, so what is your budget? What is, what is the amount of money that you can invest in this? That's going to not stress you out because my goal is to not financially stress out any organization. And then if I can work with that, I absolutely will, regardless of whether you're in California or North Carolina, if I can't, then I'll say, okay, let's think about what we can do. So maybe instead of individual sessions, I'm coming in and doing monthly sessions. And that just means it's, in my opinion, it's going to take longer, but I don't want you to not have any access to me just because you can't afford it. Some is better than none. Right. So I'm super flexible about that. And then it also just depends on, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know if we should say this, but I'm, it is what it is. I already started. Is your level of investment. You know, if your organization is really invested and you're like, this is really important to us and this is the money we have allotted. And I'm like, well, let's try to make that work. Because if you're, if it's really valuable to you, then it's valuable to me and it's going to make progress no matter what, because now you're invested in it. You just don't know what to do. A lot of HR professionals call me and they're like, Franchon, I know my people need stress management, but like, I'm tired of telling them to take deep breath. You know, I've had so many people say that to me over the past month, actually, like everyone's getting so tired of being told to breathe. And I'm like, you know what? I understand completely. I want to help you. And the HR people really care about their people. You know, they want their people to stay. They have that investment. They're thinking about retention, but they don't necessarily know exactly how to help them. 
And they don't want to tell everybody, oh, you need to go to therapy because A, that's an uncomfortable conversation. B, some people can never go. C, not everybody has great benefits. And D, therapists are overbooked right now. So it's kind of like all, that's not this end all be all solution. You know, everyone's like, well, you're a therapist. You believe in therapy. I do believe that therapy is extremely effective. It's not the answer for everyone and everything. So yeah, we absolutely operate on a scale. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I think that a lot of people do underestimate the lack of coverage when it comes to benefits, especially on a personal level. Therapy is oftentimes excluded or maybe partially covered. And there's there's some serious out-of-pocket costs and not everyone is in a position to, to take care of that. I did want to go back a little bit and you did talk to me beforehand, obviously, but you have a really interesting journey to get to where you are. And if, if you're comfortable, I'd love to hear more about your backstory of basically what kind of created this idea? What made you who you are today? Because you've, you've had some hardship and you've had some challenges to get to where you are. And I think that that's part of the reason that you have been able to, to get this business off the ground. Yeah. How far you want to go back? Like childhood, (laughs) how far, how far are we going back? (laughs) Whatever you're comfortable with. Well, my mother, when, when I was born was young. So she had me at like 17, 18. And she, you know, wasn't in a financial situation to have a child, but here I came anyway. We were placed in a lot of unsafe situations because one of the privileges that money provides is not just housing, but safety. And of course I knew none of this as a child, but I became motivated to help people and take care of people because I felt like nobody was really doing that. There wasn't a lot of that happening in my younger years. Um, And then by the time I got to high school, you know, family life was very different. I grew up in Long Island, New York. Both my parents had businesses, but they, in my opinion, didn't make wise decisions with their money. They didn't invest. In my opinion, they got very caught up on, you know, looks and appearances. And here I am. Meanwhile, I can very vividly remember at like 16, 17, stressing out about like seeing all the money go out the door. I would see the limos and the helicopter rides and the lavish dinners and all these things. And I'm like, okay, there can't be that much money. Like there's not, you know, they can't. And of course that comes from a poverty mindset, right? Of thinking like money has to, it doesn't grow on trees. Like it's going to end eventually. So I started thinking about kind of all of those things. And that's the major reason why I went to business school. Cause I was like, I want to know how to correctly build an empire, how to build wealth. I've just had a conversation with my cousins today about both of them were like, yo, we don't want to be rich. We want to be wealthy. Like we want to have generational wealth. Like that is our goal. And our family right now, currently for the most part is is very financially stable, but not wealthy. And there's a difference. And we really want to build wealth. So we're like, all right, how do we do that? What does that look like? We're thinking about real estate and different things like that. And what do we want to invest in and investing together and supporting each other together. But then I went, so after I graduated from Bentley and I got my master's degree in 2011, I started working for organizations that really weren't healthy. Some of them invested very much in their people and some of them didn't. And the ones that didn't, it would like broke my heart because I was like, I just want to help people. Like I'm a licensed therapist. All I want to do is help people. And like, you can't support me. You can't pay for some training or you can't, you know, check in on me, ask me how I'm doing. And the only time I hear from you is when there's a problem that just really kind of hurt me and, and didn't break my spirit, but I think it didn't break my spirit because who my family is. My family is very resilient and very strong. So when I started thinking about this business, I was like, what is the thing that, that I feel like I can do, that I can contribute to the world, that I don't see anybody else doing, that I know is valuable? 
that I know people are going to pay me to do because, you know, we need to make money. Like that's a real part of life. But also I want to love my job. I want to get up every day and love what I'm doing because if I don't love it, I'm not doing it. So that's kind of where healing your almond really came from is, is thinking about all the things I didn't want and focusing on the things I do and investing in those. I really love what you just said about wealth versus being rich. And I grew up comfortable, but I didn't come from multi-generational wealth. The first time I really saw that is when I moved to Boston after college. And I met some people whose families had been there for generations. And some of them are Italian immigrants that had been there for multiple generations and had multi-generational wealth. And that is much different than being rich. And I, I think that as we are looking at today's young generation coming up, people want to invest younger, spend their money smarter, or at least most, and, and start to think about the future, not only for themselves, but for their children and hypothetically multi-generations. And so as we talk about your company, I love the tagline, healthy almonds lead to healthy teams. I left that up on my second monitor over there. <laughs> that, that's really good. When we think about the business and your plans going forward. What exactly do you intend to do with Healing Your Almond? Do you have a, a plan for 2022, 2023, and so on? Or is it primarily in the growth stage right now and it's word of mouth, you're, you're slowly building your portfolio of clients? So I will say we are solidly at 75% capacity. Congratulations. That's thank you. I I was sitting down doing some math the other day and I'm like, all right, franchise, one more client. And you're, you're like there. So in terms of those long-term engagements I was talking about and those phase processes, we're definitely relying on word of mouth. I'm probably not going to be publicly, you know, advocating for that too much. Now I will say for training, we're going to start moving to webinar style and recorded style and providing that, you know, on demand so that people can just whenever they're ready to learn about almonds, for example, maybe you can do like a 15 minute little almond 101 kind of course, or maybe you want to do emotional intelligence and that might be a longer course, or maybe you want to do continuing education where, and this product is actually almost ready to be released, which is called flipping the couch. And it's a live demonstration of therapy that I did with myself as the client. So I put myself in the vulnerability hot chair and the therapist providing therapy is a white female and we're both licensed therapists, Um, but it's authentic therapy to kind of really show people what therapy looks like. We want to make that, and that was professionally recorded, and we want to make that available on demand for continuing education courses. So Healing Your Almond as a consulting agency will always continue. But what we're adding and what we're kind of moving to, I'm hoping in 2022 is on-demand courses so that those big agencies can have access, you know, so they can, cause originally I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to do live. There's nothing better than live, but the reality is there's so many hours in the day and it, that's not really a growable, sustainable business model. And I kind of knew that, but I figured I would have a couple of years to figure it out. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, everybody's like franchise, this is not growable. I said, Oh, but by the time it's not growable, I'll have a plan. And then here it is 2021. And I'm almost at capacity. So I'm like, oh, that plan needs to be developing like right now. So we want to move more into products and on-demand courses, things like that. I think it makes sense, right? If you're if you're based in a large market, maybe not pandemic market, uh, Chicago, New York, Boston, LA, 
there's enough companies there to sustain probably more in-person instruction. But living in Wilmington, North Carolina, you definitely have to be using the tools at hand. And quite frankly, I think that that's probably going to be more of the business model of the future anyway, to have a lot of these remote sessions. So I think that in, in a way, you kind of slid into this at the, the perfect time. It may not have seemed at the perfect time, March 2020, but right. you know, you, you kind of did slide into this at the, at the right time. Do you have employees working for you? We do have contractors. I have a team of four and they're all licensed healthcare workers and I bring them on for different projects. So right now we're doing an equity project specifically in New Hanover County. Um, it's a grant that we were awarded through Duke and it's super amazing and I love it. And there are certain things that I've learned are best done in group settings. And equity work is the kind of work that is super hard and emotionally just draining and difficult. So I made sure to recruit a very diverse, extremely educated extremely experienced, amazing team. I would argue that everybody on my team knows more than I do about everything. Like they're just absolutely amazing. And everyone's like, you need an admin person. And I'm like, yeah, eventually I'll get around to that. But we do hire people. We have, like I said, about four to five. And it just depends on what kind of contract we land and who we get. Right now we have a bid out to a group in Chicago. And if we get that, we will definitely probably have at least a team of three, maybe four that will be working with that organization. So one of the specialty things that I didn't say, cause I didn't think about it is when there's something that I can't do, or I feel like I need help with, I'm not the kind of person that's like, no, I got this. I think in my twenties, I was like that. I was very, you know, they say the young and dumb phase, but I was very arrogant and I'm like, no, 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 I can do it. And now I'm like, no, no, no. When I see something that is too big for me to handle, I say, this is a little bit big. Let me see if I can get some reinforcements. I'll get back to you. And then I go and look at the wonderful professional relationships I've built over the years. And I say, hey, Healing Your Almond has this great opportunity. You guys want to join me? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Because that teamwork is really where the magic is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in the, the businesses of today, networking, building your team is so powerful. I, I would love to chat about the actual process of starting the business and how it's been going being a entrepreneur who has taken your specialty and you're now putting that out to the world. It's not easy to start a business. There's probably a lot of things that you didn't think about. What would you go back and change? You know, the biggest thing that people argued with me about when I started my business was actually money. I did a lot of like free courses, right? So in Wilmington, I'm sure you've caught my tone about Wilmington, but one of the great things that Wilmington does is they really, really support small business. So there's a lot of free opportunities, a lot of small business centers. I mean, there's four that I can think of off the top of my head. And one of them at community college, and I was in this course and it was about financing and how to get capital and all these kind of things. And I went to it because it was when I was first starting out. I don't even think I officially had my LLC, but I was just trying to wrap my mind around it, making sure it was something I wanted to do. And I remember sitting in a course and I'm just being studious and taking my notes. And they started asking individuals like what we felt about finances, how much we think our first loan needed to be for and blah, 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 blah. Now you said, go back and change. I don't know that I would change that, but I didn't borrow money. Still have yet to borrow a single dime for Healing Your Almond or personally as Franchon. So I think that's one thing that I would maybe reconsider a little bit. Also taking the time to write a business plan that I would change. Yes, definitely. A lot of people jump into things, maybe don't have a clear vision or, you know, an idea of exactly where they want to go with this. And the business plan can definitely be helpful. Okay. So we had chatted beforehand 
And you told me in a very interesting story that I want to make sure that we hit on about some personal things that have happened to you after starting your business, where you were trying to make some large purchases and you were unaware of some of the ramifications of not being a W-2 employee. Yes. So I have wanted to be, well, I wanted to buy a home a couple years ago when I was a W-2 employee and the home I wanted was not available for all kinds of reasons. It doesn't matter. All of a sudden the home I want is available. So I'm like, okay, cool. Let me go to the mortgage people and get a loan. My credit score is 720, 730. It's pretty decent credit score. You know, my income has been pretty good. So I'm like, I got this. And I go and the mortgage people fill, I fill out all the application, blah, blah, blah. He calls me back and he's like, um, do you have anybody that can co-sign? And I'm like, uh, no, not really. Why? And he said, well, the issue is, is that now that you have 1099 or a schedule C income, because it's coming from your business, we need two years of consistent income from the same source. And I don't have that because in 2019 into 2020, I had W2 income, but now all I have is healing your almond income. So I really wish somebody would have told me like, Hey, Franchon, you need to have, like, if you're going to buy a house, buy it before you do the business or wherever you're at, be prepared to stay there for a solid two years before you can buy a house. And that that's a minimum of two years, because if you're not fortunate like me and most businesses do not show revenue in the first year of business, I absolutely have, but most businesses don't. So you need to kind of be prepared for like a two to three year kind of holding pattern in terms of if you're going to make a big purchase, like home. And then that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. I just wish somebody would have told me like, it was more like the blindsided stuff that I'm just like, I could have easily just quickly bought a house before I launched my company. Like it would have totally been fine. I was in a financial situation to do that as I am now as well. But because of all the mortgage requirements and things like that, I can't get the same rates. Like I would have to go to a portfolio lender as opposed to the mortgage rates that you can get when you're just buying a house or like a first time homeowners or things like that. And like I said, I just wish somebody would have told me. I I think that there's a lot of nuances when you start a business. There there should be a a five-page guide (laughs) that you can just flip through. But unfortunately, there's so many details that just kind of slip through the cracks. And that is something that I was unaware of. So I, I think that most people probably would not see that having any you know, factor on them purchasing a home or, or doing anything in their personal life. But for anyone starting a business, that is something to keep in mind. How was going about getting the LLC? Was that seamless? Did you work with a lawyer? Did you kind of struggle with that process? Or was that something that you were comfortable with? So um, I was lucky enough to meet an attorney through a different avenue. And I was like, hey, can you set up my LLC? And he's like, sure, no problem. I think he did it somewhere between three to $500, which apparently is like unheard of. Like usually it's about mm-hmm. 1500 but he's a good friend of mine. I'm friends with his wife. He, he'll do almost anything attorney related that I ask him to. But funny thing is, is that I had a business coaching client and she's thinking about starting her own business and we were just doing a consultation. And I was like, Hey, I would encourage you to do your own research because I think you can set it up yourself. I just don't have the patience for that, but you might. So if you want to do it yourself, you know, I encourage you to do so. And she's like, yeah, I absolutely want to do it myself. And she had it done in 48 hours, had the paperwork back in less than a week. So I think it's really about like what your confidence level is with fully reading things and filling out forms online and those kind of things. His actual fee in North Carolina is $125. 
tax and some states are annual versus one time versus, you know, there's some upkeep fees depending on which state you're in. So definitely things that you need to keep in mind. As far as licensing to practice the specific work that you do, are there nuances to North Carolina that you had to be aware of? Really, I've been licensed in North Carolina since, oh my gosh, 2014, 2015. And at that point, I was holding multiple licenses. So I had one in Ohio, West Virginia, and North Carolina. And it's just a pro. To me, it's simple. It's it's tedious, but it's simple. Like you simply just have to fill out the paperwork, pass the background check, make sure you maintain your continuing education credits, which is a pretty big deal. And then also be mindful of how you're presenting yourself. So like I am a licensed therapist, but I only practice therapy in North Carolina. All my other contracts are educational or coaching based. So it's not that I'm providing therapy to people in California or Texas or Michigan or any other place that my contracts are. So really just, those are the things you need to be mindful of. Like if you're a professional that has a license, like some sort of professional license, I do recommend again, either taking the time to do your own research or paying an attorney. Oh, can I just give a little tidbit to people? Yeah, absolutely. Intellectual property should always be managed by a intellectual property specialist attorney. So I have an attorney that handles any general kind of questions I have. He's amazing and I love him. But I also have a specialist in Charlotte that handles all my intellectual property because that's what she does all day long. Like that's her specialty. So there are certain things that you need a specialist and intellectual property is one of them. And that just, again, I honestly, I think that comes from my education in Bentley. Like, you know, if you have a network problem, call a network specialist, not an IT guy. Right. Utilizing the right people for the right skills. And it's interesting, as I've been interviewing people, they're all telling me that some of the biggest mistakes that they made were not utilizing the right people up front and thinking they could do some of these things themselves. And down the road, it's like, geez, if I had just paid the fee and worked with the professional that knows the craft as business owners, we want people to come to us for our businesses. So we need to think about it the other way around. Absolutely. Okay. So this is a part of my show where I, I actually just play a little bit of a game with the guest. It's called bullish or bearish. So bullish means, Hey, look, I am thumbs up on something. I think I am very confident that it will do well in the next five, 10 years, let's say. And a bearish means I have doubts. I'm uncomfortable. You can also be neutral. Let's try not to skip any. We're just having fun. Okay. <laughs> So the first one is actually going to be in the mental health space. So specific to your company, is this something that you think a lot of fortune 500s, are you bullish on this being implemented in more corporate cultures, let's say in the next decade? Bullish for sure. At any particular reason why? Do you see the trend coming where leadership is more mindful of this? Are employees requesting this? Is it kind of just a a conversation that's happening internally as we recognize the importance of mental health? Well, I think there's buzzwords, right? So there's like, this is the cool thing right now. There's definitely a little bit of a trend, but also people are completing suicide. The pandemic has increased mental health issues at astronomical rates. So I think companies, I think some companies are going to be ahead of the wave and they're going to be like, all right, let's just invest, right? And there are companies that invested before the pandemic and there's going to be that wave. And then there's going to be companies that really are not going to have a choice because they're going to start to see that their employee productivity and retention and creativity are going to decline significantly because they're not taking care of one of their largest assets, which is their people. So I think there's some people that's going to be a train and there's going to be people at the head of the train and there's going to be people that's like, 
get on the caboose or the train's going to leave you. So if you plan on continuing to be a Fortune 500 company, you're going to have to act accordingly, which is going to mean investing in the wellness of your people. Right. I know as somebody who's worked at a couple of large organizations, it is important for the employees to have their voices heard as well. So if this is something that people are working at, it doesn't matter what the company is. If this is important to you, your leadership wants to know this and hopefully will respond appropriately. Absolutely. The next one is going to be women in leadership roles at Fortune 500s. Are you bullish or bearish on the number of women that are going to hold, let's say, executive positions? Bullish. Women are like taking it over. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, we're just... I love, I love men. Like, don't get me wrong. I really love men, but women are just like, we're going, I mean, and we're not asking for anybody's permission. Like we're just going. Women of color are the fastest growing holders of higher education and business in terms of business owners. So I think that trend is going to continue. And of course, for all the obvious reasons, I support that. But also I think it's just been long overdue. And there really needs to be a balance. You know, I, I don't necessarily think women need to rule the world, but we should always be at the table. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually on a call the other day. It was about a women's leadership conference. And the number of women that are holding CEO positions has increased drastically. At the Fortune 500 level, it's slowly improving, but we are seeing a lot more women that are holding let's say top five, top 10 positions at mm -hmm. Fortune 500s. And I think that trend will slowly change where we see more female CEOs in these positions of power, especially with the next generation entering the workforce where this is the message that they've always been raised with versus maybe some of the, the stoic messages that we, we knew from the past. Right. The next one I, I think is very interesting as well. Let's talk about parental leave in the United States for women that have children, even, even for men, if they are the primary caregiver, the parental leave policy here is significantly lacking against most of our Western counterparts. Are you bullish or bearish on that changing in the United States, let's say in the next decade? Oh, I'm a little bearish. The thing is, I support it. I just don't know if there's enough pressure. Yeah. Because I don't know that everybody understands the value of that formative time and how important it is for families to bond. And especially for the prime, whoever is the non-primary caregiver really needs that time. A lot of people, I, and I'm, are you a father yet? I am not. Yeah. So a lot of fathers I talk to, because you know, I'm a therapist. So fathers tell me the deepest, darkest secrets, right? <laughs> and a lot of fathers, what they talk to me about is they don't know how to bond with their children, but they want to. Like they so love, I mean, I have, I know incredible men that just are great fathers, but they had to like figure it out when they were like two years old and they could like play with them, for example. But the reality is if they had more of that responsibility and had more of that time in those infancy stages, they could build that bond and build that relationship, which is both good for the family unit and good for the child. And I think that's how we have a productive society and a productive workforce. And as a mental health specialist, I totally get that. But I just don't, it's going to be a hard sell to kind of get organizations to jump on board with that because their thing is like, where's the return on investment? Like with mental health, I can really draw out like retention. The amount of money you're going to pay me will, will, will be covered by the one employee that doesn't leave because of me. Because if you think about the price that it costs to hire somebody and women as well, like women, like I said, we're killing it, right? So like, it doesn't make sense to not hire. But the third issue that you brought up, like, I just don't know that we're going to get to a place in the next decade. I hope we do, 
but I don't know if we are where we can really get people to understand how important that that formative time is with the family unit. Yeah, I know from working in organizations that have a lot of international co-workers and a lot of other Western countries really do prioritize parental leave. Some countries will give six months and, and others that even maybe aren't quite there are still giving some pretty, pretty solid benefits. I think that in the United States, the, the issue is we are very profit driven. And yeah, yeah. when somebody's not working, it's very difficult to maintain that profit. And especially if they're in a key pivotal role. I, I think that the only hope that things change is obviously with pressure, but also with the understanding that females will leave their organizations to find other organizations that will provide them these benefits. And unfortunately, they may lose some talent along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I really would encourage males to do the same. I, I agree. I 100% agree. Actually, I, I know somebody who's on a parental leave right now, and he gets two weeks. He's going to use a little bit of his PTO to try to get a little bit more, but it doesn't provide a lot of time to really help and be there for his wife who just had a child, as well as try to transition into this new lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And I really would encourage, like I said, all different types of families, you know, to really advocate for anytime we bring either a human into the world or we're bringing a human into the household, whatever, that family unit is really important. And I think people really need to understand that if your family is stable and sane and good, you are a better employee. Absolutely. Yes. That's just the reality of life. Like if you feel belonging and love and care and you feel like you can be there for your children. I mean, most of us work for our children. A lot of people will settle for things for ourselves, you know, but once you involve a kid, it's like, all right, I got to, you know, I got to grow up. I start, got to start taking things seriously. I got to start getting a bigger house. I got, you know, a better car, more reliable car. I know I drive a piece of crap right now, but if I was pregnant, first thing I would do <laughs> is get a quality car because I'm going to think about safety of my family. So now I might have a little more investment in having quality of work or being promoted or different things like that. I think we're really as a country missing the boat on understanding how important that is. I couldn't agree more. Okay. Last one. Let's go with corporate work environments. Post-pandemic, whenever we all go back to the office, rumors are saying maybe this fall, I don't know. Do you think we're going to be on a five-day-a-week schedule, or are you bullish on the work-from-home model or maybe a hybrid model? I would say bullish hybrid. I'm semi-proud of Americans for leaning into that a little bit, only because they were forced. There's other organizations across the country that have been doing hybrid for years now. But in any case, I think organizations really especially after a year of being in the pandemic, like took a breath and kind of calmed down and was like, okay, you know, we were able to make it. People are still able to work from home. It's going to be okay. So I think definitely bullish and hybrid is what I'm thinking. And I think that's really the best for everybody. Five days a week is really a long, and I don't know about you, but I used to work 16 hour shifts. So my time with my family, my time just relaxing and rejuvenating with myself was very limited. And you got to deal with the commute and the price of all that and the stress of all of that. The traffic in Wilmington is like a joke, right? But whenever I'm rush hour in Wilmington, I'm like, but why? You know, like, why do I need this stress level? Yeah. Like, couldn't this have been a Zoom meeting? So I think, I think for a lot, and also efficiency reasons, I really think hybrid is where it's, where it's at. Yeah, I agree. And I think that for parents that have children or, or not even parents, just people that have commitments outside of the workplace, quite frankly, I'm enjoying being able to throw a load of laundry 
in while I'm having lunch. And, you know, there are, there are very convenient factors to being home. I do miss the social atmosphere. So I I'm hoping for a hybrid method. I think also from a perspective of advancing your career, sometimes that FaceTime with leadership can't be replaced over Zoom, but it does provide a lot of conveniences as well. You know, I, I'm in an industry where I used to travel a lot and I'm very curious to see how most of our clients react to that, where maybe it's not going to be the norm that we're on site five days a week anymore. It might be a couple of days a week or maybe once a month or whatever type of cadence they're going to go into. And and like you said, Americans really did lean into this and it's because we were forced and maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's really changed our perspective on everything. Yeah. And I think that social aspect and also teamwork, you know, like people talk about Microsoft Teams and Zooms and things like that, but there is nothing like like my meeting with my cousins today could have very easily been a Zoom call. We were all busy, you know, but we live in the same city. So we were like, nope, we have to discuss money, you know, so we want to be in person. And my cousin was honest with me. He's like, listen, you're a female. I need to see your whole vibe. Make sure you can (laughs) deal with this. And I was like, okay, did I pass? And he's like, yes, flying colors. So there's definitely some in-person stuff that I think should not be replaced. But that's why I believe in the hybrid, because sometimes it's going to make sense to work from home and sometimes it's going to make sense to go in the office. Yep. And I think it's going to attract a lot more employees that maybe are seeking these hybrid models. There's some people that want to be fully remote, some people that want to be fully in the office, but I I would assume that most people are going to sit somewhere in that middle ground. Right. How corporations deal with that, I don't know yet. i Luckily, I'm not in a position where I have to make that decision, but I I am happy to help all corporations (laughs) that want to deal with that. We can definitely have a conversation about how do we how do we have out of the box thinking and don't panic. Mm -hmm. A lot of people panic when it comes to change. And a big part of healing your almond is like teaching people to relax, take a breath, recenter, realize you're not in it by yourself. Let's pull together a team, come up with a solution together. Okay, so healing your almond. What yep. are things that you wish you could go back and tell yourself when you first started that maybe would have improved where you are today? And what are things that you want to tell people about healing your almond today that you think could change in the future? Don't take it personal. When you have that $40,000 contract that you don't get, don't take it personal because a year later, he's going to apologize and ask you to come meet with him. And that happened to me last week. And I just kind of wish somebody would have told me because I was so excited because it was like a deal breaker for my company in my mind, right? In my mind, it was the biggest deal. And when I didn't get it, I was so devastated. And it turns out I had all these other organizations that end up making almost the same amount of money, but were way more enjoyable. So definitely don't take it personal. It's not about you. Don't look at it as a win or a loss. Look at it as learning. Year one, year two, even into year three is all about learning. So just take it for what it is as a learning experience. And then like future me, what do you mean? Like, what would I tell future me? Yeah, what what would future you want to hear from you today? You're going to do this. Like you're going to do this and stop being afraid. Stop being scared. Stop avoiding the interviews and the publications and the, all the things, because that's really where your change lies. It's not where you think it is. You think it's in the one-on-one relationships, which is great. And I'm happy that you're good at that. But that national platform is really for you. And it's, and it's okay. It's okay to walk in that. So yeah, thanks. That was a great question. I like that. That was the first time I've asked that one. I was just kind of thinking, 
you know, what do I want to tell myself in the future? And I think that sometimes we have to remember that, especially when we're starting something new, you know, I've started this podcast, I can be really hard on myself, but I need to remember that, look, you're not at your peak. As long as you continue to put in the hard work and focus, good things will come to you and relationships will come. You will grow that network. And I think that what you're doing is phenomenal. I do think that we do not talk about mental health enough. And I have some unfortunate stories from my hometown this year where people could have really benefited from this. And I think that there are a lot of those stories that I'm sure most listeners can resonate with at least some point in their life, unfortunately. And I, I think that what you are doing is phenomenal. And I can't thank you enough. If you could leave the listeners with one thing to think about with when it comes to healing your almond, as well as maybe how to embrace these, uh, these aspects of, of mental health awareness. It's okay to not be okay. No matter what you're feeling, let yourself feel it. If you do not feel physically or emotionally safe at work, tell somebody and then slide them my card. Emotional safety is a thing. Like, please don't feel like, oh, well, I shouldn't feel afraid or uncomfortable. Most of us do in some setting, maybe not all of us at work, but all of us have a place where we don't feel safe and we don't feel okay. And that's just reality. So I'm here to kind of help you figure out a way how to navigate that and change the system or organization instead of making it seem like we're the problem because we're not. Corporations are the problem. Valuing profit over everything is the problem. You, whoever's struggling, whatever you're struggling with, driving home, listening to this, or wherever you are listening to this, you're not the issue. I'm sure there's some adjustments you can make. I'm sure you need to take better care of yourself, maybe communicate better. I'm sure there's things you need to improve on. But in terms of the overall issue, it's the systems and the organizations that have been designed to not prioritize us. Yes, we unfortunately sometimes live to work rather than work to live. And changing that narrative for ourselves and for our colleagues and our organizations is easier said than done. But I think organizations like Healing Your Element can really be beneficial. And I'd, I'd love to, to follow along and, and learn more about it. So thank you so much for coming on, Franchon. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great. Great uh, questions. Oh, thank you. This was another great interview right here on the Business of Business interview series on finance fundamentals. I really appreciate Franchon coming on and people like Franchon will improve our workplaces and raise awareness to mental health to create healthier, happier, and more productive employees. I will leave all of Franchon's information in the description if you'd like to learn more about her company and the services she provides. Tell your employers to prioritize mental health. As I said, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. I will leave some resources in the description if you are looking for resources or would like to learn more. Join me on Tuesday of next week for another educational episode and on Thursday for another great interview. Together, we'll own that road to financial freedom. And I'm really glad you're joining me for it. I want to hear from you. Have a topic you'd like discussed? A suggestion? You can contact me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email, and more. Check out the description for my link tree. I look forward to hearing from you. The show is written and edited by me. Produced and edited by Daniel Rue. A lot of work goes into these episodes, and we really hope you enjoy them.